Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have you all here, and good morning to everyone who's joining us online this morning from whatever town, city, or nation you're joining us from. God bless you. You are absolutely welcome here. Before I get into the word, I just, can I just say thank you to you as a church? Um, the worship team come in week in, week out, and the tech team week in, week out, and, and just we do all the best we can to provide a platform for you to love on Jesus, and you do. Thank you for just engaging. Thank you for loving on him. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. It just makes, it, it, it makes all the effort worthwhile when we can just get together with one heart and one mind and love on Jesus. It's outstanding. So, part two of Because They See. You know, when I was just a wee lad, many years ago, <clears throat> I was often distracted by the slightest noise, especially planes, especially planes. If I heard a noise, I needed to see what was making the noise. For those of you who didn't hear that, my wife just said, you're still like that. My poor mum, my poor mum, God bless her. She is now enjoying her reward in heaven with Jesus and saying, just leave him there a bit longer. The peace and quiet's nice. <laughs> but when mum was trying to talk to me about things, she had this saying that just messed with my head. It was like, can you see what I'm saying? And I was like, can I see what you're saying? Don't you mean, can you hear what I'm saying? Can you see what I'm saying? And you know that all-powerful 12-foot-long finger <laughs> would come out? Mum needed me to look at her. In actual fact, it's probably today, even now, when my boys were young, I would go, look at me when I'm talking to you. I think I probably learned that from my mum. But she would make me look at her when she was speaking to me because she literally knew that if I wasn't seeing, if I wasn't looking at her, whatever she said, without any hindrance or in interruption at all, it would go straight through. I still love you, darling. Yes, keep looking at me like that. Yes, um, I think maybe what my mum suffered, my wife now suffers. Um, uh, I, have this, I have this unusual habit when I'm driving. I, I love to play music. I love to crank it and, and sing along. But when I come into town, or whenever I'm trying to find an address, I turn the music down so I can see better. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else? Do you know what? Do you know what? It's an actual thing. Believe it or not, it's an actual thing, and it's called reducing visual noise. Now, the noise can... If we could probably re replace the word noise with the word stimuli, or stimulus... Things like too many things going on around me. Me actually having too many things. Any minimalists in the house? All right, minimalism is a thing too. You know, get rid of some of the clutter. Too many screens. Watching too many reels. Not fishing reels, but we'll, we'll educate anyone over 40 later. Um, <laughs> even sound can become visual noise. Now, last week I started this mini-series called Because They See, and I asked these two questions. How is your vision? What or who will name this year for you? Will you allow God, sorry, will you allow your circumstances to cloud your eyes and to name it, or will you allow God? And I shared how 
Every year I ask God for a specific word that will describe the year that we're going into or the year that we've already started. And the more I asked and the more I leaned into and, and waited on God, um, things began to become focused <laughs> for me. And I'm, I'm convinced that the word for this year, the, the, the focus for me this year as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, uh, is the word see. If by the end of this year, I could ask any of you, and your answer is, oh, I can see so much better what God wants. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying. Oh, yes, job done. And it would be a, a very real temptation for me to preach last week's message all over again because it was that good. But um, no, no, it, just, it, it laid a foundation for today. So if you haven't heard it, I'm, I'm actually not going to do an, a, a massive debrief on it. But you can go to our church website or you can go to our church Facebook page or go to iTunes podcasts because they go, the message goes up every week and I really encourage you to take it and listen to it. So uh, before we go anywhere else, um, let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we come into part two and as we round out and close out this series, this mini-series, uh, Lord, I'm asking, we, we, we just sang that song, Holy, there is no one like you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Lord, there is so much about you that we just don't even have a clue about. There are layers, there are dimensions, there are colors. There is depth and magnificence, Lord God, that would just absolutely explode our brains. But Lord, take us on a journey into the wonder of who you are. Open up our eyes. Help us see, Lord, help us see in your word. Lord, help us see what you're saying to us today and throughout this year in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when it, when it comes to seeing, what we focus on tends to grow. In our lives and in our circumstances, if the only thing we focus on is our pain or our problems or the difficulty, then guess what? Eventually those pains, problems or difficulties will take on an appearance of being insurmountable and unconquerable. But when we choose to focus on God, when we choose to focus on his character, and when we choose to focus on his truth, we begin to see what and how he sees, and things begin to change. Let me read you a testimony. In, in my research for this, this mini-series, I was doing a lot of reading, and I came across a testimony of a doctor. Her name was Dr. Michelle Beanston. Bington, I think that's how you, anyway, this is, her, this is a short excerpt of a testimony. Many years ago, I plummeted to the depths of depression's valley. It didn't matter that I had been a Christian since I was seven years old, nor did it matter that I was a doctor who diagnosed and treated patients who suffered from depression. All the alphabet soup after my name wasn't enough to shield me from depression's snare. During those dark days, weeks, and months, I tried all the things I had suggested to my patients for decades. A nutritious diet, regular physical exercise, prioritizing adequate rest, counseling with a trusted therapist, and even a trial of medication. All those things helped, but they weren't enough to fully eradicate the depression. The longer I was depressed, the more my focus centered on all that was hard in life, all things I didn't like about my own life and how I wasn't measuring up because of my, because my own prescriptions for my patients walking through depression were not helping me. And this is what she said. I began to believe that perhaps I was joy immune. 
Then the Holy Spirit guided me to his truth. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. His word applies to me and you and those in the Bible to whom he spoke directly. If joy comes in the morning, then I could not be joy immune. I then began to focus on God, God's many other promises. And as my focus changed, I began praising him again with a smile on my face. Our focus matters. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What will you choose to focus on? What will you choose to see? We're going to look at a couple of Bible passages in history, which I believe when I unpack these, they're absolutely, I'm, I want to speak prophetically this morning. I believe what I'm about to teach is going to set someone free this morning. Amen. Absolutely set you free. So a little bit of history. Uh, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They've come from, they've gone to the, the, the poison spring, which was, which was made whole. They came to Elam. Then they moved on to the foot of the mountain. And they, the people of Israel, the children, or the Hebrews sinned, and God said, ah, that's it, I'm done. And he was going to wipe them all out. And Moses was like, whoa, 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 God, if you wipe us all out, what are the Egyptians going to think? What's the rest of the world going to think? And so God relented on his plan. He, he changed his mind and he said, right, but I'm so sick and tired of all of you, <laughs> in a word. And he said, so I'm going to send you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. And like Moses, so we're going to pick this up. So let's join with Moses having a conversation with God. Okay, so let's just be the silent observers and I'll try and keep my mouth shut because it would be amazing to see. Exodus 33 verse 15 to 17. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Your presence amongst us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. And just, just that last bit, there's someone here this morning, you're going to go, how would God know me? Guess what? He knows you by name. He knows you by name. Right, we're going to jump forward into the next chapter, Exodus 34. Here's the second part of the scriptures that we're going to build around today. Exodus 34, verses 10 and 11. The Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you but listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, I read through these scriptures. I've read these, this passage of scripture many, many, many times, and it still causes me to wonder. But there were two things that I really wondered. Here's the first thing where God said, I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. I was like, really? Can you actually do any more, God? I mean, let's have a quick look at the list. Creation. Let there be planets, stars, life. Then humankind messed it up. There was the flood. 
But don't just think about the flood. Think about the ark with all of the animals in it. And they all survived. (laughs) All of the animals survived. Let's jump forward. Abraham and Sarah. He was 100 years old. And Sarah, I don't know how old she was, but God said, you'll have a baby. And they did. Moses, on the side of the mountain, sees this bush burst into flame. And the tree isn't actually being consumed by the fire, but the voice of God comes out of the fire. I mean, that's a mind-blowing miracle. The the plagues in Egypt, the the whole of the Red Sea parting so the Hebrews could walk through on dry land. A pillar of cloud by day to shield them from the sun. A pillar of fire by night to direct them through the desert. A poisoned spring being purified. Manna from heaven, quail coming in so they had bread and meat. Then Moses hits a rock and enough water comes out of that rock to quench the thirst of over a million people. Is there anything else God can do? I mean, that's a pretty good list, yeah? And this is where I really got struck. Miracles that have never been performed. I looked again and again at this list of miracles that I just read out. And then focus came. A dawning and an awakening and understanding. I began to see something about these miracles. Every one of those miracles that I just listed off for you, they were all external. They were all physical miracles of provision and protection. And they were all external miracles. They were physical miracles. And then I read through the second scripture that I read to you where God said he's going to wipe out that list of tribes and it started to become clear. Then I will go ahead of you and I will drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Why would God list? Why would he specifically list a bunch of tribes like that? Why would he target these particular people groups? I said last week, That we can comprehend, anyone can comprehend the idea of a savior or a higher power being for us or being with us or being ahead of us. But when it comes to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches us that yes, he's with us. Yes, he's beside us. Yes, he's ahead of us. But it actually teaches us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he lives within us. And there isn't any other faith on the planet that describes of its deity, of its, the center of its faith, actually living inside personally, intimately with the followers of that faith, except for Christianity. This is the incredible and the undeniable and the radical grace of God. See, I believe the greater miracles, the miracles that had never, ever been performed on earth up until that time, We're not physical and outside, but the greater miracles were actually miracles on the inside, miracles of transformation on the inside. See, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian people, says this, So we are transformed, sorry, transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Now, I was sharing with the, uh, at the nine o'clock, uh, for those of you unaware, at nine o'clock we gather as, as uh, the, all the ministry team, everyone who's doing part of the serving team, the dream team on a Sunday morning, but it's actually open to everybody at nine o'clock. And we spent a bit of time, I share a thought, we spent a bit of time in worship and prayer. And I was sharing with them this morning that God will never fight you for control of your life. He'll never fight you for it. You see, perfect love must allow freedom of choice. Otherwise, it's not perfect love. It's just benevolent dictatorship. So God allows us to choose, and he'll never fight you for control of your life 
but he desperately wants to come on the inside and to change you from the inside out. And when we think about this list of tribes that God was going to remove, and we think about the Israelites or the Hebrew people having come out of Egypt, we've got to remember they had been slaves for 400 years. Some would say that that is uh, 10 generations. It depends on how long you think a generation is. But 400 years, let's, let's just accept that that's a really long time. It's lots of generations in the family. 400 years. They had been treated despicably. Let's just accept the fact that slavery then was unacceptable. Just as slavery is today. Completely unacceptable. But... In my research and in my digging and in my God, why did you list those tribes? And why did you say you were going to do greater miracles? I'm going to unpack the name of every one of those tribes. And you'll begin to understand why God listed them. And here's the question. Can you see what God is saying? Here is the first tribe, the Amorites. The name Amorite means tyranny. A people of huge pride and arrogance. The Israelites had lived and suffered under that sort of tyranny in Egypt. And God declared that he would remove the stigma of being under such domination. Then there's the Canaanites. The name Canaanite means a peddler of humiliation. So for 400 years... The Hebrew people had lived utterly and completely humiliated. They didn't even know what their value was. They had no concept that they were of any value before God or man. They had tyrannical dictatorship under the Pharaoh, and they lived in absolute humiliation. And then the third tribe, God said he would remove, were the Hittites. The name Hittite means terror. No longer would they live in terror. No longer would their terror surround them. No longer would that terror fill the mind and the air that they breathed. Can you see what God is saying? Then the next tribe God said he would remove was the Perizzites. The name Perizzite means to be living separated and alone. The Lord heard their cry. They were no longer alone, separated from their creator. Leviticus chapter 26 in the Old Testament says this. I will set up my residence in your neighborhood. That's interesting because in John chapter 1, it said, And God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I will set up my residence in your neighborhood. I won't avoid or shun you. I'll stroll through your streets. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I am God, your personal God who rescued you from Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. Now get this, I ripped off the harness of your slavery so that you can move about freely. Can you see what God is saying? Can you see it? Tyranny gone, humiliation gone, separation gone, terror gone. Then the next tribe was the Hivites. And the name Hivite means small town and insignificant. The Egyptians feared the Israelites. The story says, because if you go back even you go back a few years, and Joseph, who was a Hebrew, an Israelite, 
was second in charge of the entire nation. The second most powerful in the known world at the second most powerful man in the known world at the time. And the Hebrew people flourished under his leadership, flourished under the care and the watch of him, and they grew massive in number. They were, they were, they were known as a very fertile people. The Egyptians feared them because they had become so numerous. And so they shackled them in slavery. They drove them with tyranny. They humiliated them. They separated them. They literally made them live in a separate area. They were not allowed to mingle with the Egyptians. They were literally raised in insignificance. They were never allowed to realize their value. God did not want them shackled like that in their minds. To be bound by small and insignificant slave thinking. Can you see what God's saying? And then the last tribe in that list were the Jebusites. The name Jebusite means trodden down, polluted, and loathed. They had been loathed, they had been trodden down, and they had lived in the polluted squalor of slavery for 400 years. And God said, I will remove that from before you. And I will give you the ability to live a different way. Can you see what God was saying to them? God removed tyranny, humiliation, terror, separation, insignificant, and loathing from before them. And he gave them the ability to see that there is a different way to live. There's a, next, there's a sentence coming up on the screen. And I want you to say it to yourself in your heart and in your mind. And I want you to fill in the gap at the end of the sentence. It says, I can be free from the mindset of slavery to you complete the sentence. Doubt, anxiety, depression, addiction, loneliness, sickness, Unemployment, poverty, insignificance. I can be free from the mindset of slavery too. Why can you be? Because God himself said, greater miracles than have ever been performed on earth, I will do. God sent his son. As Amber, as a video that Amber shared with us, right throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, there was honestly... If you were a sheep farmer, you were guaranteed for life because everybody wanted a lamb to sacrifice or a bird or something. You know, there were blood sacrifices for thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, a couple of, I don't know how many thousands of years. But then God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that his sacrifice was for once and for all. And that wasn't just all the people of the time, but once and for all, and all, and all, and all until. Luke chapter 12, verse 30, 31 says this, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. How do you seek? How do you seek? 
You use your eyes. You use your eyes. Proverbs 29 verse 18. I used it last week. The last bit of it says, When we attend to what God reveals. How do we attend to what God? We see what He reveals. Can you see what God is saying? When we see what the Lord is saying, we will be most blessed. Don't waste any time. Don't waste a moment longer. Take hold of all that Jesus offers. Life, hope, and purpose. Healing, salvation, transformation from the inside out. You know what? Let's make this even more personal. The Apostle Paul, again writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, We have the mind of Christ. Verse 16 is preceded in verse 9 and 10. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor does the heart of man know the things that I have in store for him. But God will reveal them by his Holy Spirit. And jump forward a couple of verses and it says, We have the mind of Christ. Can you see what God's saying? Do you want to have the mind of Christ for your life? Do you want to have the mind of Christ for this year? Then get into his word. Focus like that doctor. Begin to focus on the promises of God's word. Let's focus on a few promises. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I've often, you, you, if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say, don't just get into the word, but let the word of God get into you. Psalm 118 verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made and we will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Romans 8 37, we are more than conquerors through Christ. You know, it doesn't specify what you can or can't conquer. It just says you're a conqueror. Come on, I wish I had a suit of armor and a big sword at this moment. Or a, or a little wick and a cannon. Yeah, just come on. Let's get all kind of crazy here. More than a conqueror. Come on, do you want to win some victories this year? Well, the promises says you are. 2 Corinthians 2.14. God always leads us to triumph in Christ. Psalm 23 verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know why that? I, I saved that to last. Because the psalmist was King David. Now, when he wrote that, I don't actually think he was a king. I think he was a fugitive from his father-in-law, Saul. He's living in caves and he's running from one place to the next place because his father-in-law is literally hunting, hunting him with 3,000 soldiers to kill him. And yet he turns around and goes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Right now, actually, there was, a, there was a slightly deranged king and all his soldiers following him. Not a lot of goodness and mercy in Saul. But you see, he wasn't focusing on Saul. He was focusing on the Lord. Who will you focus on this year? What will you see? God knows us. God knows us. He provides application in his word. His word is a memorial to us. In that, and if we go back, to, go back quickly to when the, uh, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, were going through the desert. Moses had died. Joshua is now the leader. They come to the Jordan River, which is a whole other story because the river was in flood when they crossed it. The priests stood in the river. The river banked up miles up river, and they had dry ground. And, and Joshua instructed them to the 12 representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel, I want each of you to grab a rock out of the middle of the river. That is before the priests, because the priests walked in with the Ark of the Covenant and the river stopped. 
And he said, grab a rock and pull it out and carry that rock. And when all of, they were all crossed over and the river had come, they used every one of those rocks and they built this massive rock cairn, an altar. And Joshua said, if people say, what are these rocks about? These rocks are a memorial to the faithfulness of God. These rocks will remind us that it was God who brought us out of Egypt. These rocks will remind us that it's God who, who parted the Red Sea. These rocks will remind us that he fed us for 40 years in the desert. These rocks will remind us that he parted the Jordan River. These rocks will remind us he's brought us into his promised land. The word of God is like a rock. It's lots of rocks. It's built on the rock. It's built on Jesus. And it's a memorial. It's a reminder of his promises, of his goodness, of his grace and his mercy. And I really want to preach another message, but we need to wrap up. But God knows us. He provides this application a memorial. It may sound odd, but remembering God's faithfulness in the past is the way that he will fuel our faith for the future. Do you need to reduce the visual noise this morning? Will you focus on him? Will you spend time in his word? Will you begin to see what he was saying? Because guess what? He was faithful then, which means he'll be faithful now. Do you believe that this morning? Can you see what he's saying? Would you stand?